Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, from the Common English Bible. There's a season for everything and a time for every matter under the heavens, a time for giving birth and a time for dying, a time for planting and a time for uprooting what was planted, a time for killing and a time for healing, a time for tearing down and a time for building up, a time for crying and a time for laughing, a time for mourning and a time for dancing. A time for throwing stones and a time for gathering stones. A time for embracing and a time for avoiding embraces. A time for searching and a time for losing. A time for keeping and a time for throwing away. A time for tearing and a time for repairing. A time for keeping silent and a time for speaking. A time for love and a time for hating. A time for war and a time for peace. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Claire, and thank you, Grace, for your wonderful music. So I'm going to read part of those scriptures again that Claire just read, but I'm going to read from the message, and there's a one word that was inserted that I think is really interesting. There's an opportune time to do things, a right time for everything on earth, a right time for birth and another for death, A right time to plant and another to reap. A right time to kill and another to heal. A right time to destroy and another to construct. A right time to cry and another to laugh. Yes, there is a time for laughter and laughing. And I'd hope that that time would be here today. That we might have a time of light-hearted release as we celebrated God's word. After all, last week we found ourselves in a sermon that was a little bit deep and difficult with topics pertaining to our faith, about how we should honestly confront God with our deepest pains and doubts. And I had promised to make things lighter. After all, one of my spiritual gifts is the unusual gift of humor. Don't laugh. That was a real thing. I came in. I took the quiz. It's my favorite one, too. However, it's a gift that I have learned has a right time. And I've had to learn to harness it and use it when it's appropriate. In my younger days as a new attorney, I would see the absurdity or the irony in a situation And on a few occasions, I even felt it appropriate to verbalize it. But my clients and the judge gave me a look that said otherwise. I have learned there is a time for that particular gift, a season, if you will. You see, the writer of Ecclesiastes muses about the existential questions of life. He points out that there are absurdities and complexities of our existence. He points out that there are inevitable seasons of contrasting emotions, conflicting experiences, competing sentiments, and realities. Now, I'm not sure how you have interpreted Ecclesiastes, um, these wonderful words of wisdom from chapter 3, but I have lived and loved loved these verses since I was a child. And it always sounded like to me that one thing would happen, 
and then another thing would happen. And then after that thing was done, another thing would come into play, and on and on. It, it kind of sounded like that time was neatly compartmentalized into these particular seasons. But as I have grown older, the lines have gotten very blurry. Instead of distinct and definable dividing lines, there is much overlap of the seasons. I feel like, well, I'm living in the boat sometimes. I've simultaneously experienced joyful moments coupled with heartbreaking circumstances. One life event didn't politely bow out and make room for the other. Life doesn't work that way. It's more complex than that. I've been thinking about what it means to live in the both. It's just a phrase that I came up with one day to try to explain what I was experiencing and feeling. And as the phrase implies, it is multifaceted, but it's not wishy-washy. It is embracing the view that many aspects of our life, our faith, our humanness, are not simplistically singular. Now, some things are. Some things can be very distinct. But more often we see that multiple truths can occur at this level and this level and this level all at the same time. Living in the both is acknowledging that the challenging things that we face are not as one-dimensional as we are led to believe or willing to believe. I feel like more and more we're being pulled in a certain direction, one side or the other, my side or yours, us versus them. It leaves me feeling anxious and unfulfilled. Forces that are not willing to compromise, consider, or connect with the other possibilities. In his book entitled Seeing Gray in a World of Black and White, Adam Hamilton was discussing the polarizing differences in theology and practice that happens among Christians. And he made this point that I believe reaches further beyond just what he's talking about in context of the church, but to many of life's situations. And he wrote, We must be able to see the value in another's position, practice, and doctrine. And while we may hold fast to our convictions, we must be willing to accept that someone else could be correct and we could be in error, or we both might be partially correct. Thank you, Adam Hamilton. That's what I'm talking about. I'm willing and ready to live in the both or the many until I've come to see the various sides. But that can take time. And it takes patience and pondering. And it lacks the comforts of exclusivity. And that's where I wanted to go. That is where I wanted us to settle into this morning, this intriguing little conundrum of life, where it's better to acknowledge more than just the side you know the side you have lived, and the side that feels safest to you. I was originally thinking that living in the both would be a sermon that encourages us to step forward 
and the reality of our multifaceted world and see another perspective. That choosing sides, as we are often prone to do, may not be the healthiest and productive approach to life and faith. And maybe the sermon still is all of those things. But then we had the horrible events of Charlottesville, Virginia, that occurred last weekend. And the more we learned and the more that was exposed has shaken us up. It's rocked us to our core. Hate groups marching in the streets, violence, intimidation, and the spewing of racist, anti-Semitic, and fascist rhetoric. And then the most horrendous act of all, the senseless taking of innocent human life and the injuring of many others. In the midst of the pain, fear, and hurt, and disbelief in Charlottesville, we too witnessed safely from afar what hatred towards our fellow man can do and what it can look like in full force. We collectively felt the sorrow of the citizens of Charlottesville and the family and friends of Heather Hayer, who died protesting hatred, as well as the two law enforcement officers, Jay Cullen and Burke Bates, who were killed in a helicopter crash during the response to the violence. And yet we had to get back to work on Monday. First day of school was coming up. Business meetings, weddings, birthdays, personal victories, dinner plans, all those things happen. Because life is not just one thing. We have our lives, our demands, and our priorities. And on the one hand, we find ourselves outraged by racism and white supremacy. And on the other hand, we might find that our indignation might be fading a little bit as we juggle the many aspects of our lives. And maybe it's because we can afford to. But hear this. It is a not enough just to be angry or dismissive of the forces of racism and the other evils that are permeating some aspects of our society. As Americans, as Methodists, as followers of Christ, we are called to do more. Robert D. Farr, our bishop of the Missouri Annual Conference of the United Methodist Church, wrote an eloquent letter addressing the events of Charlottesville. His words resonated with me and jolted me out of any lure of complacency that I might want to latch on to. I'm sure many of you have read the bishop's letter. If you have not, here are parts of what he said. Christians have a special role to play when we witness overt acts of evil and wickedness in our world. Our shared baptismal covenant has been on my heart. And these words should sound very familiar to all of us. Do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin? Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? And do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your whole trust in his grace, and promise to serve him as your Lord? 
in union with the church which Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races. The bishop says these questions presume that we will do more than just resist evil within our own hearts and homes. Rather, these questions imply that we will actively resist this wickedness. Bishop Farr said, it is not enough to be non-racist. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to be anti-racist. We are called to action through prayer, standing in solidarity with those being persecuted, preaching and teaching love, and denouncing acts born out of hatred. As Methodists, we are called to both personal and social holiness. This isn't a multiple-choice test. We are called to do both. There it was. Those words literally jumped off the page when I read them. We are called to do both. Living in the both. It's introspective acknowledgement of and also an active expression of our faith. Now, before we go any further, because it's only going to get harder, please, Please, brothers and sisters in Christ, do not make this a political issue. Please hear me that this is not partisanship. I am not preaching politics from the pulpit. I learned long ago not to go there. We are talking about hating someone because of the color of their skin or their nationality or religion. And this is not up for debate. This is wrong. We can all agree on that. I also state that I am not going to give credence to the other side's argument. Did you hear me say argument? The one promulgated in hate and intolerance. And you may be saying, well, you're not listening to the other side. Yes, you're right. I won't listen to their arguments. I reject it. I fight against it, their ideologies of hate. Nevertheless, I do acknowledge there is humanity behind those very flawed belief systems. And I pray for those people, for their change of heart and mind. Much work needs to be done in this area, and it will test us, and it will task us to be grace-filled and peaceful servants of Christ. But that's not the sermon I'm giving today. The only starting point as Christians we can adopt is that we are called to renounce, reject, and resist intolerance, hatred, and racism. Now, how we choose to move forward, how we choose to combat, how we choose to learn and grow and educate ourselves and others, Ultimately, the journey we take and the stance we make, that will take shape differently for all of us. But as for today, hate will not have a platform. And so I propose living in the both is how we as Christians move forward, even if it is uneasy and scary. Because living in the both literally stretches us. Now, for me personally, there is another side that I want to live in. 
one that is vastly different from my upbringing and existence. And to be clear, I'm talking about me for just a minute. I'm talking about Ali Williams. I'm talking about a side that's uncomfortable at times based on my status, background, privilege, education, and lived experience. I, Ali Williams, am a white American, and right or wrong, good or bad, acknowledging all the factors out of my control, I can honestly say and acknowledge that I have not personally experienced the kind of racial and other forms of intolerance that many of our brothers and sisters in Christ have endured. But just because it hasn't happened to me doesn't mean that it doesn't exist for many, many people. Living in the both says, I have my reality and you have yours. And your reality is worth knowing and understanding. Harper Lee wrote in To Kill a Mockingbird, you never really understand a person until you consider things from his point of view, until you climb into his skin and walk around in it. We have some walking to do. Further, I believe we are called to live in the both, not just to intellectually resolve the issues of racism in our heads, but to go further into uncomfortable territory, to stand up against intolerance, to witness and to proclaim our spiritual values. Bishop Bruce Og, of the, who's the president of the United Methodist Church of Council of Bishops, said this in his response to Charlottesville. Jesus Christ called his followers to love your neighbor. It is clear the key, the key spiritual imperative means all neighbors without regard to race, color, religion, or national origin. The bishop further states the social principles, our social principles of the United Methodist Church are a clarion call and powerful witness in times such as these. These are things we've already agreed upon. That we affirm that no identity or culture has more legitimacy than any other. We call the church to challenge any hierarchy of cultures or identity. And that racism manifested as sin plagues and hinders our relationship with Christ in as much as it is antithetical to the gospel itself. Therefore, we recognize racism as sin and affirm the ultimate and temporal worth of all people. The bishop recounted the story about Martin Luther King Jr., Martin Luther King echoed a similar sentiment when he challenged the United States to transform the thin paper of the Declaration of Independence that affirms the self-evident truth that all men are created equal, are endowed with certain inalienable rights, and he calls us into thick action. The bishop goes on to say, I pray that the shock, dismay, and grief of Charlottesville will be a turning point for the U.S. and even our global United Methodist Church. He says we share collective responsibility to turn our thin words into thick action. We are to share collective responsibility to break the silence, our silence. We share collective responsibility to restore health, 
to the communities and relationships out of which extremism and hatred and racism grow. We share collective responsibility as followers of the Prince of Peace to create nonviolent communities where people with different political and religious views respect each other. He says we share responsibility to articulate the vision of the beloved community where no person feels endangered on account of their social, racial, or cultural identity. And finally, the bishop says this collective responsibility begins by each of us examining our own hearts for the prejudice that contributes to attitudes of supremacy or hatred or to violence or silence or fear. Peacemaking and reconciliation always begins within. He said the vision of the beloved community lies not behind us, but before us. And I know that was a lot to digest, but I think those are incredibly powerful words for the church to hear. That we are called to combat racism, and that it's not just one thing. Did you hear? He said you have to reach out to the people on the other side. You've got to go inside. You've got to work with others. This is activism on many levels and many fronts. Now, as stated earlier, generally speaking, living in the both is multifaceted. What it is not is multiple choice. A view of life where one answer encapsulates the views and realities of all persons. So were you paying attention this morning? If the question is, how do we as Christians combat racism and hate, is it A, we renounce hatred, bigotry, intolerance, and racism? Is it B, we go inside ourselves and our own individual experiences and search our hearts for the truth on our own fears and biases when it comes to race, culture, and social identities? Is it C, we go outward and connect and converse with people of different racial and cultural backgrounds? that we seek new relationships and educate ourselves on issues of race in particular? Or is it D, all of the above? The correct answer is D, living in the both. Living in all of it. Living in the complexity that real solutions cause us to do more, know more, and experiencing more. To not just be non-racist, but to be anti-racist. Living in the both is going deep inside yourself, but also going way outside your comfort zone. Now before we leave this morning, I want to tell you about the one thing, hands down, I always got asked about on my resume. Marilyn Center, you've seen my resume. You interviewed me. It's been a little dusty. It's been sitting on the shelf for a while. I am always asked, how was it that I became the president of HALSA? 100 bonus points for the person that knows what HALSA is. H-L-S-A, the Hispanic Law Student Association. Now, here is a sample of questions that I routinely got asked. Do you speak Spanish? 
Are you married to a Latino or a Spanish speaker? Did you live abroad or do one of those foreign exchange things where you were in a Spanish-speaking country? And then the illegal question, are you Hispanic? No. No to all of them. I've been asked many things about my tenure as the president of Hulsa, and I understand the curiosity. All you have to do is look at me. I get why I was asked so many questions. The story is simple. Okay, we're way past simple. It was a season in my life when I was going to law school here at UMKC, and I was very youthful and full of energy and vigor, and the shocking lack of racial diversity in our law school was something that really troubled me. And it was something that I felt that I had to speak out about, about what I saw and what I had witnessed. It was a time that I fearlessly lived in the both as a young white woman from a very small town in western Kansas who faced who I was, where I came from, accepted what I didn't know And I wanted to learn more. So I made new friends. People who looked different than me and experienced life very differently than me. I learned to listen to their stories, struggles, and realities. I discovered that I had many false presumptions and assumptions. And then there were some things I was just never truly going to understand or be able to experience. And yet I fought alongside of them so that their voices might also be heard. In turn, they also accepted me and my journey of self-discovery and growth. And as one of my favorite professors and the Hulsa advisor, Professor Lasso said, We need you, our progressive white friend. There will be places you can go, people who will listen to you, and we need you. I joined Hulsa as a first-year law student, and I left as their president. It's really been one of the great honors that I had bestowed upon me. For a season, I fully lived in the both. I learned so much, and it shaped me in immeasurable ways. That fearless young woman represents a season in my life, and I really hope that some 15 years later that things would look vastly different that things like Charlottesville wouldn't happen, that they couldn't happen. And along the way of life and career and career change and moves and kids, that voice has grown a little bit quieter. But the seasons are changing. Can you feel it? We as Christians are called to live in the both. A right time for keeping silent and a time for speaking out. This is our time, the season where we live out our faith, where we live in the both. Now is the time to be silent and hear what the marginalized, oppressed, and discriminated have endured and to listen to how we can help bring justice and wholeness to the broken body of Christ and mend the wounds of intolerance and inaction. And now is also the time to speak up, to speak truth, to speak peace, to speak love. 
to speak to the wrongs of the past and present and do all in our power not to make them our future. Now is the time to proclaim loudly, in Christ's family there can be no division into Jew and non-Jew, slave and free, male and female. Among us you are all equal. That is, we are all in common relationship with Jesus Christ. And as Bishop Farr says, as Methodists, we are called to both personal and social holiness. This isn't a multiple choice test. We are called to do both. We are called to live in the both. Will you join me in prayer? Dear Lord, in the midst of troubled and turbulent times, help us to remember that we are all your beloved children and that you, God, are the embodiment of love, grace, peace, and forgiveness. You sent us your son Jesus to teach us the ways of love and acceptance. Help us create your kingdom here on earth. Let us build it with love, tolerance, and inclusion. Lord, stretch us, teach us, guide us as we seek to live in the both, a place of knowing, a place of acknowledgement, a place to experience that of another. As we work to mend the wounds left by racism and hatred, spur us onward in radical love and active peacemaking. Amen.